There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Uh, good morning. Hope you had a great week. Market certainly has performed very, very well. If you are long and strong, you made yourself some money. Uh, but my friends, the year is young. And as such, we're going to take a technical view on the equity markets uh, with two different strategists. We have, of course, Ron Meisels, uh, president and founder of Phases and Cycles uh, in Montreal, standing live on the line. And we actually have one of his uh, students, shall I say, Joe Farrell, uh, who's with Velocity Capital. He's the global strategist, technical quant fella, who uh, I've been introduced to recently. He's very very smart man. Uh, in the middle of the show, of course, we're going to touch on oil. Crude looks better. Good for Canada. So Simon Ackett, our energy trader, Canaccord Genuity, is going to join us and tell us what all the smart money is doing with respect to energy. Without further ado, let us reacquaint Joe Farrell with uh, Ron Mazels. Uh, gentlemen, Joe, you met um, uh, Ron a number of years ago. Please tell us how you met Ron and uh, the outcome of that meeting. Well, sure. I actually met Ron back, uh, if you remember Ron, I was at Galileo uh, Equity. Uh, and I was a fundamental quant guy at the time, and Ron came in and showed me how to do charts. Won't hold a fundamental against you. Yeah. <laughs> so Ron came in, uh, I was immediately attracted to how Ron did charts, because at the same time I was a quant guy, and I kept looking at the charts that Ron was very bullish on, and then I would go over to my quant list, and the list would very much line up. Uh, so that kind of set me on my path as to kind of combining uh, quantitative and technical analysis, and I've been doing that to this day. Yeah. So, so obviously, Ron, you've been on the street for several decades. Uh, here we are, turn of a new year. 2017 was, was, was a pretty good year, wouldn't you agree? As an excellent year. Excellent year. Uh, I just looked at my portfolio, and we're up 22% for the year. Good for you. Wow, that, that's serious outperformance. Toronto with, with dividends was up, what, 7 or 8%, so that's massive outperformance, my friend. So what's, what's your view on 2018? Well, we have got a little bit ahead of ourselves here. I uh, wouldn't be a surprise if we had a, a, a minor, minor pullback here uh, once the 15th of January goes by, because that's typically the time that all the earnings are announced, and it might induce some people to take some profits. So minor dip, but we're, the bull market is not over. We have one more leg to go, and we may go up towards the summer, uh, and then we may have some more serious corrections. That's 2018 for you. So what type of correction would you expect in 2018? Oh, uh, we never try to, co to forecast the, the, the valley before we get to the top of the mountain. <laughs> and so you're, you're in Quebec and your mountains are pretty cold right now, aren't they? Uh, yeah, we had minus 30 here a couple of times, a couple of days ago. Uh, yeah, minor correction for now. Are you talking S&P or New York? Which one you like? Oh, well, I, want to sp I want to speak global, actually. I want to speak North America and I also want to speak across the pond. Um, again, having Joe in our office a couple days ago uh, reacquainted Jack and I with the uh, Nikkei, uh, the Japanese stock market, mm -hmm. a market that mm -hmm. peaked out in what year? 88? 88, uh, 88, 89. Nikkei peaked yep. in 88, 89, has yet to best those highs. Uh, so we're talking, is that 40 years? Who's going to do the math for me here? Uh, it sounds like it's a long time no, ago. Not 40, no, no. It's 30 years. It'll be yeah, 30, 30 years. 29, 30 years. 20, yeah. 30, years. 30 yeah. years. Yeah, here we are, yeah. 2018. Yeah. 30 years ago has yet to best those highs. And the mantra in North America has been forever 
the market always comes back. Um, the NASDAQ came back, but the Nikkei hasn't. So when clients ask me, hey, Wolf, but the market always comes back, I always remind them, yes, however, there's a caveat. And that one is the Nikkei. So, Joe, what's your views? opinion, yeah. Yeah, views on, yeah, on, on I the mean, Nikkei? L- l- listen, your history there on the Nikkei is bang on. It got up to 40000 right at the end of the 80s. Uh, it crashed and burned for more than two decades. But the bottom line here, uh, if you're a chart guy and you look at that chart going back 35 years, there's a 27-year basing formation on the Nikkei that's been formed. Uh, the neckline of that pattern was at about 21,000. Uh, just in the past few months, the Nikkei has broken out of that 27-year base through that level. Uh, and on a technical basis, that would easily, at minimum, target a retest back up to those old 89 highs uh, at the 40,000 level. So, so what is the Nikkei today? 20, uh, 22, it's I think. Yeah, it's just, yeah. So per, per, perhaps 100% gain from here? I, I, I would think that would be minimum because, again, there's so much cause here built when you carve out a 27-year base. It's the largest uh, base you could see anywhere on any any equity market on the planet. So, so I'd so, say a 30-year compound return, that's not that good a double at the end of the day. Right? No, it's, it, it's not. good it's from terrible. this point in time, yeah. and if it's done relatively quickly, but if you've had to wait, like you said... 20, 30 years to get that return. It's, it's certainly not a, in a market that you want to be in, that's for sure. And there's been a lot of false starts there, too. So, so Ron, let's take it back to you, because in terms of um, experience in the marketplace, I think the collective in the studio right now probably would be neck and neck with your so, singular uh, amount of experience <laughs> that you have, my friend, which is a compliment to you. Um, so in, in terms then of markets coming back, always coming back, what, how would you answer such a question? Uh, yes, it it will happen uh, often, uh, but uh, we are at the beginning of, which I told you on, uh, before in, in different uh, interviews before, that we are at the beginning, we were at the beginning of a super bull cycle on, uh, that started in 2009, and obviously we're still in it. So what the market comes back, that, has, that can happen, but not today and not at this stage because we started a brand new we, we had come back. The part of what you say come back, that happened in 2009. We're a totally different thing. We're, we're on the new road. We started a new market. We're marching ahead from the beginning of a, on the highway. And we're not going to go back on the highway at this stage. Right. So, so, Ron, Canada, U.S., Europe, or Asia. I want you to think about that. We're going to pay the man, and we're going to come right back to you. I want an answer on that question. Where would you overweight your money as a Canadian investor? Stay tuned, folks, right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You get a whip and I get a saw, honey. You get a whip and I get a saw, baby. You get a whip and I get a saw. A good trend pays for them all, honey. Trader pays Hi-Fi Radio. That is the fidelity part, eh? Little fiddle, little banjo this morning. Good morning to you all. Toronto, Canada. Global News Radio, 640 in Toronto. Producer of the show, Jack Hartle. Your host, moi aussi, Wolfgang Klein. Got Joe Farrell of Velocity Capital, a global quant technical strategist, smart guy. And Ron Mazels of Phases and Cycles on the line. By the way, that song was written by Ed Sequoia. He ran money and was a market wizard. If you ever read the book Stock Market Wizards, he was interviewed repeatedly and decided to write a song about 
about the market, and it is called the Whipsaw Song. We've all been Whipsaw, where you sell something as it's rolling over, and it just snaps right back. But anyways, for another day, I want to talk about where do we place our monies, as the world is flat, and really money goes, as Jack always says, where it's most welcome. Uh, gentlemen, Joe, and I want to start with Ron, where do you believe money is most welcome, and where is the greatest upside? Because after all, greed is good. Uh, if I may answer first, uh, the Canadian market always ends later than the U.S. market in a cycle. And uh, so given that, I believe we are at this point where uh, there may be an end of, uh, end, of, end of the first cycle happening here, I would go for Canada uh, because of its uh, high content of material stocks uh, such as uh, uh, material and, and energy stocks. So that's where I would go to. Our target for Toronto at this stage, which is now currently at 16,300, I would go, we could go to 18,000 before this is all over. Okay. So, so, Ron, on a fundamental basis, I know you're not a fundamental guy, but uh, are you concerned about NAFTA with your, your target there for Canada? Oh, they're going to have to work it out. That's simple. Where's, where's, where's your second country then, uh, Ron? Canada second first, country. number two? Well, number two, I only I only cover two countries, so for, obviously for me, second country is the U.S. All right. So, as a Canadian, what weight would you put in Canada versus U.S. at this stage? Yeah. probably 60, 60, 60, 65 Canadian and the rest U.S. Yeah, we're, Jack and I actually are the exact opposite. We're overweight uh, America. We're about sixty America, for no, forty Canada. No problem with there, but stop, thank we're you. Stock pick, no, we're no stock problem. Picking, we're good. We're good. Talk. No problem. For stock picking, uh, I would go. I would really seriously look at some Canadian energy and and material stocks. Well, actually, we have uh, Simon Ackett, our oil trader, on. We have some great music lined up for him too, including the Beverly Hillbillies, of course. But uh, energy is looking pretty good uh, now. Um, when I look at um, uh, Joe's work, and you should take, you should uh, to get a free trial of his work, Ron, as you've given out free trials to your work. Um, but 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 yeah, but, but uh, Joe's been actually highlighting a number of base metal stocks. Um, you, you highlighted Freeport recently, uh, Joe. Yes. Um, Tech Cominco is a big name that's been moving quite well as well on the board. So both Ron and uh, Joe, what do you guys think about those two metal stocks right here right now? Well, I, I agree with Ron. You're late cycle, and this is when this sector starts to shine. So if you look at Tech B, we put a chart out on Tech B earlier this week. Uh, it's been consolidating uh, in a little bit of a pause base for the last year. It just broke out at $36. I think it's trading up at 38 as yep. we sit here. Uh, that technical measurement uh, in our note, we actually have the potential for that stock to go up to $60. 60 bucks. Yep. Wow. And what about Freeport? Freeport is in our model portfolio in the U.S. It has a great quant technical rank. Uh, again, it's just broken out of a three-year base, and we think that stock can go into the mid-20s. Mid-20s. And, so, and Ron, what's on your radar in terms then of these late cyclical, call it uh, energies or coppers or base metals and whatever has your fancy give us some ideas well, we had uh, we put on tech at uh, early december at 30 dollars, and oh. obviously it has done very well oh, you're ahead of joe on that what is that joe see your team oh, that, that's the, no good. no that's not true we've had it in our model portfolio for about six months oh yeah. Yeah. six okay. months that's they're good. both riding the trend what? good <laughs> that's what we do we ride trends not bad not bad anyway uh interfor is uh, is doing very well it just broke out today and uh, Nordboard is itching to, to get going. West Fraser Timber on an absolute tear, and yet Jack's NAFTA uh, has fallen apart. So uh, who's right here? Is the market right, or is the Well, there, there have be been correct? tariffs, obviously, on the softwood it's lumber, always, right? Always, always, always the market right. Yeah, so it, it, perhaps you're going to have a favorable outcome to, to the, to the uh, North American Free Trade uh, Agreement, you think, Ron? There is an old saying that fundamental analyst tells you where the stock should go, Technical analyst tells you where the stock 
is going. <laughs> huh. Yeah, you, yeah, you're doing so with the rear of your mirror. Uh, I mean, I, I would agree with Ron. When you actually look at the price action of lumber itself, lumber has had a massive multi-year base breakout uh, through 400. It's at an all-time high. So in spite of all this negative talk about NAFTA and lumber, the price action, as Ron points out, uh, dictates the way. And price action here is very bullish on lumber. We have an initial technical target of 500 on it. But clearly on the chart in the big brace base breakout you could actually measure lumber up almost a double here to eight hundred dollars uh so, if so you're how much is it right now i think it just threw four four fifty ish good golly and that's for a thousand board feet isn't it yeah, yeah. i said yeah. the funny thing about that is it's actually based on the fact of u.s home builders the strength in the u.s market they require canadian lumber and if they have to put an extra tariff on it so be it they'll uh, accept it i think and, and, that's the bigger and, question. The, and the uh, housing stocks are doing very well. Yeah, the absolutely the yep. housing index itself is broken out of a big base and has much higher targets itself yeah Interesting. Um, what, what about the Canadian dollar, guys? What's your opinion there? The loonie's been very, very strong this year. It's been, once again, uh, since since the fall of last year, uh, a headwind to anyone who has U.S. dollar exposure, which Jack and I do, and still we're doing okay. We're you know, outpacing, but still been a bit challenging. What do you guys think? Stocks helping. Yeah. What do you think about the currency right here, guys? I think the I think people are too negative on the Canadian dollar at this stage. Mm, so you think it's going higher? Uh, if we can get to, say, about uh, breakout around 81.5 to 82, we could get uh, 85. Ooh. And what about crude? How high does crude go? Uh, don't cover it. You don't do that gas? I guess you don't cover either? Who? The natural gas? No. No. What, what about foodstuffs? The uh, ag, again, you, you had now um, Agrium and a Potash, I guess, finalized the merger agreement, being the largest fertilizer producer, eh, Jack, in the world. Uh, lots of power with this company here on a go-forward basis. And again, after all, the old cliche was 10 years ago, the world's got to eat. Uh, and I guess right. nothing, nothing still really holds true changed. today. I guess it does. <laughs> but, you, but you see the food stuff. I think the softs have been very, very weak, including wheat, the grains. Uh, yeah. Do you guys pay attention to the commodities and, and give us any directional call on that? Uh, I don't particularly pay attention to the sauce, but I, I, I would agree in terms of oil. Uh, in our work, oil has broken out. Uh, crude has broken out of, again, a three-year inverse head and shoulder base. Uh, it breached that neckline at 55, and I think as we sit here, it's trading up near 64. Uh, a two-thirds retracement of the crash from 14 down into early 16 uh, would be able to take uh, cr uh, br sorry, crude up to about the 76 level. Uh, that would be a right. two-thirds retrace. That would be a kind of a minimum target we would look at. If you strictly just looked at the base and the measurement up, uh, believe it or not, it could measure back to $100. Good golly. What do you think of that, Ron? Do you buy it? Uh, as I said, uh, we, we're, we don't really do any commodities as such. So uh, I'll take a pass on that. But the, the energy stocks are definitely reflect what Joe is saying, that high possibility uh, some of the stocks, uh, like Suncor, are just on the verge of breakout, and some of the little uh, junior stocks are itching. Um, it, it, what kind of weighting do you have in your energy in your portfolio with respect to energy? Uh, well, usually I don't uh, like to go anything higher than a 10% weighting in any stock, so uh, or between five and ten. So uh, I got um, my portfolio in our in our recommended list. Uh, we got a number of names. Yes. Well, look, you, you know, having a 20% return, Ron, in 2017, man. Uh, kudos to you. Big success. And uh, obviously your experience is paying off and you have a little bit of that. So I'm very, very proud of you. I'm very happy for you. Yeah, we uh, had a couple of good picks on the, on U.S. stocks. Uh, Microsoft was one of them. And we had a number of uh, things uh, the, in the Canada. So, yeah, it, it's stock picking is at this stage 
still have to be very aware of stocks names and be looking at names. Who's going to win this year, passive or passive or um, or active? In other words, ETFs or individual managers. Who's going to win this game? Uh, it uh, depends on your depends on your uh, risk ratio. And uh, if you want to, if you don't, if you can be a stock picker, then go to ETFs. It's very simple. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go go to what? Oh, go to ETFs. You said go to ETFs. Yeah. ETFs. Yeah. Uh, Ron, we're gonna have you back on the air. My good friend, it's always a treat to have you with us. Uh, I want to thank you and wish you a great Saturday morning. Coming up next, folks, we're gonna stay on the theme of commodities. We're gonna bring on an oil trader, sales guy, Simon Ackett with Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Papa was a driller on a wildcat crew and my mama never was around. I learned to cuss when I was two and fight when I was three. And by the time I was five, there was no kid alive could ever get the best of me. Ah, Hi-Fi Radio. Little Johnny Cash, roughneck, eh? Well, very apropos for Simon Ackett, a, he's not a roughneck, not a redneck. He's just a very, very wise energy, shall I say, sales guy, institutional sales with Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Simon, good to have you on the show again, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. So, uh, crude does not look rude. It looks pretty good, my friend. Uh, but we got a problem here in Canada. It's called a differential, uh, which means uh, what the Americans pay for, I guess, American crude, they want a little bit uh, cheaper stuff from the Canadians. So what is the differential between Canadian crude and American crude right now? It's sitting stubbornly high right now, Wolfgang. It's, uh, it's, it's sitting at 25 bucks. Historically, this has sat anywhere between 16 and $18. And due to a number of factors, whether it be pipeline rationing or um, you know supply and demand fundamentals, this differential is blown out to twenty five dollars. So this, this me- yeah. So this means that it's, if, if crude's trading sixty one dollars, a Canadian producer is going to receive thirty five to forty bucks a barrel on their heavy crude. This is the stuff that pours like molasses, not the not the lighter stuff. Uh-huh. Yes, the heavier stuff, which is you know. 15, 20% of our Canadian production is uh, going to get those lower prices. Which, which is the oil sands product, basically, correct? Yeah, Western Well, the oil sands, sorry. some of it gets upgraded. So, you, you, you know, some of it comes out as heavy molasses, and some only sees the market as, like, thin oil that you can basically pour right into your car. And, and, and why is there, is there less demand for heavy? Is that the issue? Yes, there's generally less demand for heavy, but there's also very specific buyers heavy, and those are the refiners in the U.S. So the refiners are making a huge amount of money right now. Imagine taking in crude at $25 less than what the market is, and then processing it for 5 or $7, and then selling it at you know, market prices, which is in the 60s. You make a fortune. So look at Valero in the U.S. That stock is on all-time highs. Oh, it's all-time highs. Good God. I remember that stock when it was in the tank and I sold it way down there and have not looked back ever since. And that's why it's worked so well because Wolf was off the trade. Good Lord. Wow. So, uh, the, the, like the refining business, that's, that's a tough game. Capital, capital intensive, NIMBY comes into play. If they're not running at, what, capacity of close to 90%, they're not making that's money. Right. That, that's that's right. one tough racket. But So really, truly, boom, bust. Speaking of which, Boone Pickens uh, basically leaving the business. They're, they're, yeah. There's, there's an energy guy. Have you met Boone before? I, I have. I, I, took, uh, I took several companies in to see his hedge fund in Dallas. Uh, he makes you wait in his waiting room for a good <laughs> half hour to make sure you see all the pictures of him with 
all the different presidents and all the famous people. But yes, he's a very impressive man uh, who commands a, a huge presence in the business. Well, he, you know, he worked in the industry for what, since 1950. So we're talking 67, 68 years, uh, ran a $2 billion energy hedge fund. But uh, the last 10 years, I think have been pretty tough for the guy. And uh, again, from a, from a, a performance point of view, and at 89, he's almost 92. So I think it's about that, you know, time to retire, I think. I guess you know, he, he was he, he lived in Canada for a good 10 15 years uh, chasing well sands like he he's lived in Canada he he knows the Canadian market quite well so he's always been an investor in Canada lately it's been mostly the large caps you know in and out of Suncor and Canna uh, C&Q, but he, he knows Canada quite well. Now, now uh, Simon I'll tell you why I like speaking to you is because you deal with the smart money you sell ideas to institutions, which basically means hedge funds, pension funds, mutual funds. And you're speaking to some very, very smart people who, well, they, they manage a lot of money and therefore, you know, they, they got to be relatively intelligent. So my question to you then is, as, as a portfolio manager, which I am, as is Jack, um, your clients, the smart money, <clears throat> are they buying Canadian producers? Are they buying American producers? Are they buying heavy producers, light producers? Are they buying drillers? What are they doing? And how can you help us help Hi-Fi Radio listeners? I have told, you know, this theme, what I'm seeing emerging in 18, I've told it to all the fund managers that I deal with, and I get, I get widespread agreement. Very simple. Three themes. Own oil over gas, own light oil over heavy oil, and own U.S. exposure over Canadian exposure. So let me go through that for a second. Why oil over gas? Gas is constrained in Canada, particularly at the Eco Hub, and we're getting a big discount to NYMEX gas. Mm-hmm. Two. Light oil over heavy oil. Light oil simply because of that theme we talked about. The differential is quite wide. You produce heavy oil, you're taking a $25 hit on that oil that you produce when typically you only take a $15 to $18 discount. And U.S. exposure over Canada, that's simple. U.S. has you know, the tax breaks, uh, the flow of capital. Um, you're going to see a recovery in the U.S. names much quicker than the Canadian names. That's a fact we've seen in every cycle. Expect it again. Hmm. All right, Simon, uh, can you do me a favor? Put your thinking cap on, and it's always on. Uh, we're going to go to commercial break, but I want you to come up with some specific actionable ideas that we can talk about on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. And listen to my story about a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food and up to the ground come a bubbling crude oil, that is. Hi-Fi Radio. We're going to talk crude. Simon Ackett, institutional energy trader, sales guy with Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Your producer, of course, Jack Hartle, in the studio, lined up some wonderful guests for us, including Joe Farrell, who's in the house. Uh, so let's talk ideas here, specific actionable ideas from Simon Ackett. So you said oil over gas begin with. So what's your favorite oil idea? Well, for all the listeners, I, I would tend to focus on Suncor. If, you, if, you, if, you, if you're looking for yield, they've increased dividends at a kegger of 21% since 2011. They've got a free cash flow yield of four of 6%. Pure group's closer to three. So we like that name. Highest organic growth profile among the integrated peers. Uh, we like the catalyst. We like the valuation. Uh, we like the dividend increases. So hmm. that's a big, large cap oily name. Okay. Um, light over heavy. So give us a light oil idea. Uh, light oil, I like torque. Torque oil and gas. High quality assets, low decline, high net back. They've got catalysts. They're drilling uh, some pretty exciting plays in Saskatchewan, one called the Frack Mindale, and the valuation 
uh, you know, 5.3 times versus the historical levels of 7.5 with a debt to cash flow of only 0.7 times versus a peer group at 2.5. Yeah, clean balance Very sheet. Exciting. That's good. And then you said U.S. over Canada. So give us, give us a U.S. idea. So the, so the U.S. over Canada is a little more broad. I mean, whether you're looking at the oil field service stocks, if you like that theme, or the E&P stocks. But here's my pecking order of owning Canadian names with U.S. exposure. Okay. Those would be Interplus. They've got assets in the Bakken and, and the Marcellus. In Canada, which is a big Permian player, but also a big Monty player in Canada. CEU. It's a, chem, a special special, specialty chemicals company in the Permian, but listed in Canada. PetroShale, for the, you know, for the growthier folks out there, that is all Bakken, run by a guy named Bruce Chernoff, a famous name in the oil patch. And, of course, Crescent Point. Crescent Point's got the majority of their assets in Canada, but they've got an exciting new play in the U.S. where all their growth is coming from called the Uinta Basin. Let me ask you another question, if you don't mind, Simon. Uh, again, if you, if you can't answer that, that's totally cool. But in terms of the, the, the manager, you've come across a lot of money managers. That's what you do. Um, if you were to buy one energy manager, who would you buy? So instead of picking names, using a manager, would you do an ETF or would you pick a manager and who would that manager be? Oh, I love active managers. I think there's a lot of dislocations in the market that you needed, a, you know, an active manager to pick from. Um, I've seen, I, I've dealt with a lot of them, absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, one, one that stands out for me as a really smart energy investor is uh, Kyle Hunter. Uh, he's uh, part of that uh, Canoe Financial Group. He's based out of Calgary, actually a Toronto guy but moved out to Calgary to, to help uh, Canoe run money. And so so we're working with Rafi, in other words. Exactly. Yeah, so we have Rafi on all the time. That, that, that's yeah. where we placed our bets. So that's good. So Simon's, I like that, Simon. So Simon, you mentioned about a, a number of Canadian names here. Um, you talked to a lot of Canadian funds and managers. How about international and also U.S. investors? Are they looking at the Canadian space at all, seeing cheaper valuations here? Hmm. Unfortunately, with uh, all of the constraints that we have, uh, you know, ACO issues and pipeline constraints for the heavy oil, Canada is not at the forefront of people's minds right now. I'll admit that. But light oil or unique oil is still at the forefront. And that would be stuff like the oil sands or certain parts of the Montney where gas guys in the Montney have high liquids content. So, yes, Jack, they are looking but they're looking at far fewer names. How, how is the world viewing the, the oil sands these days? It's gotten better. Um, you know, everyone thinks, you know, you see the press and you look at the big, you know, areas that they're working in in these mines and they think pollution, environmental impact. But at the end of the day, they have the longest life assets, like 50, 60 years. And the maintenance cost of maintaining those assets is very, very low. So it's a very profitable business. But many believe that when you bring on new projects in the oil sands, they're very expensive. And that's true. Can I, uh, in the so, first few years, but in looking over the long term, and you amortize that cost over a, a very long reserve life, it's not so expensive. And, and how, how are investors looking at Canada from the outside? You know, with our political landscape, regulation, NAFTA, yeah, all that stuff, all that noise around the yeah. uh, the, the energy space in Canada. That's what are investors question. saying to you? Unfortunately, they're saying to us that uh, there, there's a little too much hair in Canada, especially on the it's gas side. Not open for business, eh? Still, eh? Well, we're open for business, but like I said, in certain areas, uh, you know, people are going to always pick Canada for valuation or for some uniqueness in our asset. Our valuation right now is at a discount to the U.S., but not significant, and our uniqueness sits in the oil sands and the Montney. And for the most part, you know, those are the areas that outsiders are looking in at. 
Uh, in terms of in terms of the drillers, because uh, again, that's a very very torquey part of this business. And Jack and I owned right. the index, the OIH, and uh, uh, unfortunately, we didn't make any money. We bought it early, wrote it down, actually sold it at a loss uh, to offset all the gains that we had, just to manage taxes better for clients. It's turned the corner, looks better. Uh, so, would you buy again? Give, give me twelve. Give you twelve month window here. Where are you going to make more money twelve months from now? Uh, in the drillers or in the individual names? The the actual uh, producers. I, I think you're going to make them in the AMP names because the disconnect between the, the, the regular producers and the oil price is so severe that either the oil price has to come in or the, or the, or the EMP stocks have to jump up. And I think we're going to see that in the EMP side. The service side is interesting, though. The service side has a lot of torque, particularly the pumpers over the drillers. Pumpers have pricing power. Drillers do not. Simply put, the pumpers will outperform the drillers, but the whole space is going to move forward this year, just at a smaller clip, in my view, than some of the EMP names. So buy the explorers and producers, and if you want some services, you buy the pumpers over the drillers. Simon, that's that's a lot of good stuff you gave us early in the morning. Saturday, my good friend, go fill up your car, get some more gasoline. And, uh, well, it's not too cold up there. And turn up the heat. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, we are getting a bit of a turn in the weather, aren't we, my good friend? Uh, I really appreciate it. We're going to have a great year, let's hope. And I hope oil serves Simon Ackett very, very well. You've been helpful to Hi-Fi listeners. Uh, folks, uh, we're going to come right back to Joe Farrell and talk more strategy and just uh, get our feet a little deeper into the 2018 landscape right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All the time. All the time. Oh, yeah. Sing it. All the time. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 in Toronto. Jack was getting worried for a moment there looking at me, saying, what is he going to do next? Indeed, Wolfgang Klein, your host, and we are talking money, and we're going to weave in a little bit of fidelity. High fidelity, of course. Uh, Joe Farrell, a uh, global macro strategist, quantitative technical analyst kind of a guy with Velocity Trade Capital. Uh, in, in your uh, work you gave Jack and I, your 2018 market technical outlook, you say you are of the view that global equity markets are in the early stages of a synchronized melt-up. Jack taught me about six months ago what the word melt up meant i always thought melt up meant it goes up quick he said no no wolf it melts up slowly I said, oh that makes actually a lot of sense 20 years and i haven't figured that one out yet <laughs> that's okay we all learn uh so uh yeah how far will this melt up take us well i i'm looking with this sacronis melt up i think you're looking at probably 18 to 24 months globally and and again the key in my work Wolfgang, uh, is that, you know, we all know that the U.S. market has been a leader. It actually broke out to new highs through the bear market back in 2013. So it's clearly been uh, the global leader, I believe, led by technology. But what's happening now in the last six months and as we roll into today, uh, we've seen many Asian global equity markets break out of multi-year bases. Uh, Europe, the stock 600, is on the on the verge of breaking out of a 20-year base. And as our, our Ron Meisels was alluding to earlier, you're kind of in the late cyclical portion uh, of the market here. Uh, a lot of the commodity-oriented markets tend to do well and catch up. 
So just recently uh, in my work, I've seen major base breakouts in the Canadian equity market, the Brazilian equity market, Australia, South Africa, and believe it or not, even Russia. And Vietnam. Vietnam has got a lot of headlines <laughs> yeah. for the last month, eh? Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. It's it's it is global. It's synchronous. Uh, and, and and again, I think the biggest mistake people are going to make is to sit this one out. Because uh, again, I I look at it, it looks a lot to me like we like we were going into 1998. I think there's plenty of runway here. Uh, I think you definitely want to still be invested, uh, and you want to have offensive sectors on the table. Well, I think that's just it, and and that's that's been the paradox. Uh, Ajax for the last 15 years, baby, in a falling interest rate environment retirees, new retirees, those entering retirement, thinking about retirement, and those who were hurt by dot-com dot com crash wanted to buy dividend-paying stocks all of a sudden. And the mantra grew, and the, uh, the Kool-Aid was passed around, and it was about dividends and dividends and dividends. Along comes the income trust, and we like our dividends even more. Then the white page, they take away the income trust, and those that were left paying a dividend got even more attention. But the last few years, dividends, especially last year, dividends really lag. Dividend payers uh, have not performed. That's and Jack and I own 10 or 12% dividend payers in our, in our portfolio. You know, the Verizons, the, uh, the AT&Ts of the world that pay, you know, near 5% yields. Uh, and then they're struggling. So you're seeing weakness in utilities. You're seeing weakness in, in telco. Uh, and now you're seeing some weakness in the REITs. So my question to you is, you said it's a risk-on game, and I agree with you. Uh, what should those retirees do, those dividend-starved individuals? Hold the position or take on risk? Well, I, I, again, I'm not anti-dividend, but clearly where you are in the cycle, Wolf game, rates are starting to go higher. So, you know, in our work, technically... Uh, we're clearly seeing underperformance and even breakdowns in those uh, in those sectors you mentioned: REITs, telecom, utes, uh, consumer staples. Now, a bunch of the sectors that we do like: we like technology, industrials, financials, discretionary, uh, and energy and materials. And clearly, within all those groups, there's solid companies that themselves pay dividends. So, you know, at this point, we like the financials. Uh, I would be more prone to own a Canadian bank or insurance company over a REIT, a telecom, a UTE, or a, or a staple stock at this point. Yeah, mm-hmm. all those all those companies, like Joe said, they they benefit from rising rates. They also grow their dividends. They grow their cash flow. So you're not looking for the, the, the highest yielding stock, but the one that's actually growing its cash flow, growing its revenue, growing its yield, growing mm-hmm. its dividend. Yeah, those, which, those which, are very positive things. And they work in a pro-cyclical environment too. That's exactly right. When you're when you're buying a sector or a stock, you'd like to have as many tailwinds behind you as possible. And I'm just of the view that, you know, say a financial has more tailwinds at this point of the cycle than say the ultimate conservative, you know, telecom REITs and utilities. So and, and then in terms of uh, torque itself, where are you going to place your, place your, shall I say, bets uh, if you, if you want to get some, some outperformance? Well, listen, I still think this global uh, equity multip that I'm looking for over the next two years, I still think it's akin to the back half of the 90s. So uh, in our models, we haven't continued to be overweight technology uh, with a focus on semiconductors. We like global industrials. Uh, I get asked a lot about, you know, kind of a, a growth sector that's kind of lagged technically. And I still think the one that really sits out there in my mind uh, would be biotech. Uh, you know, if I was to look at a biotech chart, it's clearly lagged, but it's built a base. The I would be referring uh, to the IBB ETF. It's built a base. It's sitting on top of that base. Uh, it's trading, I think, you know, just a little under 114. Uh, a breakout there could take it to 130 to 140, which, again, would only take it back to its high from mid-2015. So uh, that's clearly a growth laggard area that I like. As I mentioned, I like financials. I, I do like consumer discretionary stocks. And, and of course, at this late point in the cycle, uh, you should really see some torque uh, in energy and materials. Interesting. Well, look, we, uh, we like to play some commercials around here because that's what we do with commercial radio. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. Stay tuned. More of Joe Farrell's 
quantitative strategic outlook for 2018 right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Got a negative spread. You can't sell high. To your life savings, you say goodbye. If you're looking for mercy, don your skirts. You do a 720 and then a curtsy. We're not talking about Benjamin Graham. We're not talking about the long-term plan. <laughs> hey Jack, what do you think of that Wall Street trader song? Yeah, they're not li- thinking long term a lot of the time, that's for sure. The minute by minute, second by second, looking for the next tick, I guess. Okay, well that's good, eh? Little hip hop rap uh, on Hi-Fi Radio. Okay, why not? Joe Farrell's in the house. He is with Velocity Trade Capital and uh, lots of charts. Uh, Jack and I are getting uh, your service right now, and uh, you know you, you like to look for breakouts. We, we you know you you seem to be very very timely um, in your entry points, uh, and so far so good. So speaking of which, Japan, it was actually 1998. I went long EWJ. It was an ETF um, that allowed you exposure to the broad Japanese Nikkei. 300, I think it was. Uh, it continues to trade today. They did a reverse on it. Uh, so way back when <clears> I was trading at 8 to 10 bucks, and it traded 8 to 10 bucks, I kid you not, for about 15 years, Joe. Uh, I didn't make a lot of money on it. Um, part of the issue was currency that we have learned. Uh, so let's, let's go back to Japan here because, again, it was... The, it's, been, it's been the pain trade for the last 30 years. If you could pick one, that's probably... It might be it. That's, that's it. Like the NASDAQ bested is, is 2,000 high of 5,200. The Nikkei did not best so until peak of, of, of 40,000. So we're finally uh, breaking out. That is news. That's great. That's that is fa- great. That's yeah. fantastic. So. So, 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 so share with us. Should we go long Japan right here, right now? And tell us why. Well, just let me say, Wolfgang, I've got a 40-year chart of the Nikkei in front of me, and it's just so blatantly bullish. I almost want to come over here and hug you. Like this is how bullish uh, this chart looks like. But you're right. The technical structure here was a parabolic blow-off decade-long into the end of the 80s and then a series of crashes and rallies that literally persisted for almost 30 years. But again, as a technician, the key here is all of that technical action is being truncated under the 21,000 zone, meaning I can take a trend line and draw it back 30 years, connecting all those lower highs. And lo and behold, for the first time in 27 years, the price action on the Nikkei is having a clear clear bullish break. Now, I want to ask you fundamentally, why is that? Because first of all, Japan has a ZERP policy, which means zero interest rate policy. They are holding rates down more than anyone around the world is, including the pushing down the 10-year. What's a 10-year yield, Jack, in Japan? You mentioned the other day to me. 10, 10 basis 10 points. 10.1 of a percent on a 10-year. And then the, the ten- government's committed to leaving it at that level. And, and so the 10-year in, the in America is what, 265? 260, yeah. 260 yeah. probably is going to work its way up to 3%. So... Uh, is it easy money that's that, that, that's getting the Nikkei to go, or is it international money finally waking up to valuations in Japan? Well, I, I certainly think it's both of that. But 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 again, you're giving a bunch of negative fundamental views uh, on the on the Nikkei, and when a technician like me comes in and says that's all fine and dandy, but price action, as Ron Meisels was saying earlier, is king. And this is a real long-term technical breakout here. A lot of times, Wolfgang, when you see price action like this. Uh, acting the way it is, a lot of times the price action will precede kind of the known fundamentals. I'd be of the view that we'll be sitting here in six months to a year if I was back here, and we'll be talking about all of the positive things uh, that have justified the breakout. But the reality is price action leads, 
and this is a monstrosity of a breakout in the Japanese equity market. Cause, cause and the longer the base, the better the, for a tech. That, that, that's right? clearly a major technical tenant. The longer something trades underneath a zone, the more volatility there back and forth. This is 28 years. I mean, you can you can have big moves on a stock that trades in a range for six months, and when it breaks out, can explode. Uh, okay, this is 30 years. Let, let me build a wall here, okay? Because that, that, that seems what to Trump be likes to do. Yeah, that's a hip thing to do. We build walls. Yeah. So I'm going to build a negative wall here for you. Demographically speaking, Japan is the worst, in the worst shape demographically. Its population is aging, and they are not having bambinos. Jack has three bambinos. I got three of them. They're teenagers now. But we have kids. The Japanese are not having kids. Number two, their debt to GDP is at 250%. Debt to GDP in the Western world is about 100%. So the wall is getting bigger. Why buy the Nikkei? You've got a global equity melt up here. And I, and I think what's driving that is better global economic conditions. Uh, and I wouldn't know the numbers off the top of my head, but a lot of the big weights in the Nikkei are inter internationally uh, exposed companies. Uh, they're going to benefit from that global growth. And again, the other thing I think, Jack, uh, sorry, Wolfgang, is that uh, the, the, the U.S. dollar yen itself uh, has tracked the Nikkei over the last 30, 40 years. Again, I think U.S. dollar yen is going to explode itself up in the next five to 10 years. So again, uh, a weaker currency in the home market for Japanese companies, uh, I think that's what the market is sniffing out here and why it's breaking out of this so, space. Let's just, the, the last 20 years, has the yen strengthened or weakened against the U.S. dollar, the yen? The, the yen has, has, has kind of tracked what you see in the Nikkei. It's been in a long-term kind of back and forth under the 125 zone. Yeah, uh, which is actually strong, right? You, you think the yen is going to weaken against the U.S. That, dollar. That, that's correct. When I talk about, I'm talking U.S. Right. dollar yen, which which if it rises, that would mean the yen so, but, would weaken. But, right, but, the, but so the yen the last couple of decades has been strong you believe now the yen is going to weaken and that's going to propel its market i, I believe that the when i i don't believe i mean i look at the long-term chart of u.s dollar yen it's broken a 20-year downtrend line and it is uh, itself is coming up to the top uh, of a 25-year base the neckline at 125 so i think the equities as they usually do lead here i think if i'm sitting here three five ten years from now uh, the long-term projection that that chart uh, can give you on a technical basis would take dollar yen up north at 200. Now remember the last time the Nikkei blew off to 40,000 at the end of the 80s, dollar yen was up at almost 300. Wow. Well, we like to think fundamentally, but trade technically. It's a bit of a cliche, but not that well known, but it's very, very true. And I totally agree with you. Price, price action does lead. Uh, overlay some volume action to get confirmation, and you are certainly off to a good start. Joe Farrell, quant and quantitative analysis, technical analysis, velocity trade capital, a good partner now with Canaccord Genuity. It's good to have you on our team as a third-party provider of service. A real pleasure. We're going to have you back on the show throughout the year, and we look forward to that. Jack, great job lining up the guests, the uh, friends, family, those who are interested in fidelity and money. A real pleasure having you as our guest on Hi-Fi Radio. Looking forward to being with you each and every Saturday morning right here on 640 in Toronto. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.